Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. Of CD game show trolls, the smiling lie of the televised hive. The witches are watching with their thousand eyes. Witches are watching with their thousand eyes. We smell rotten teeth. That speak beyond belief. A stick inside their skull would bring. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 49. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Headquartered, the book on the monkey's solo career has been turned in and should be out in February or March of 2020. Same with the Warren Kramer book, Crossing My Fingers. I'm still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency and the TTV Underdog Scrapbook and the Mad Book. Plus, I just turned in an article about Dick Tracy's 90th anniversary for Hogan's Alley magazine and an article about Harvey Comics giveaways for Craig Yo's upcoming book about comic book giveaways. And I'm still working on an article about Harvey Mystery Comics of the 1970s for Back Issue magazine. Our guest today has written and drawn many books devoted to the Wizard of Oz and his retelling of the Trojan War as the Age of Bronze. He currently is drawing Casper's stories for American mythology. Here he is, Eric Schanauer. All right, uh, I know a lot about your career because you've done a lot of Wizard of Oz type books, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in artwork and writing. Well, I've always been interested in, in drawing and in making up stories ever since I was a little kid. Um, so I, it took me a while to figure out that what I loved was comics, though. It wasn't until I was in high school that I decided that I was going to become a cartoonist. But I've been drawing and making up stories for, for years. I have, you know, a couple boxes of old man, illustrated manuscripts from when I was a kid. Um, uh, and so I, after high school, I went to the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art mm-hmm. in Dover, New Jersey, and graduated from there. And during my last semester there, I was going into New York and having uh, interviews at DC and Marvel and um, a couple of other smaller places. Uh, and I was sending out my uh, portfolio to... Uh, any publisher who, who I was aware of, any comics publisher I was aware of, and I started getting work the day after I graduated, and uh, been working ever since as a professional <laughs> cartoonist, um, doing lots of, you know, my career has been pretty varied. I've done all kinds of stuff, worked for many different publishers. Um, well, so, and, what was the first publisher that uh, accepted your work? Um, oh, the first job I did... First professional job I did, okay, um, was lettering for First Comics on Warp, uh, 
taken on by one of the other publishers, like I think Eclipse took on some of the Pacific titles and things like that. It just kind of went um, into lim- no. limbo. Um, I think <laughs> yeah, I think I've tried, what have I, I, for a while I was think I was trying to shop it around a little bit, um, but I haven't been in contact with the guy who penciled it for years. <laughs> um, I don't know where he is, oh, no. so <laughs> I haven't done anything with the story, because I would certainly have to uh, get in contact with him if I, if I was you know, going to try to get it get someone to pay us for it right um then what became like your first regular gig was it just le- doing lettering like you're talking about or uh was it other things that came along i was doing a lot of lettering uh for first and for dc uh the day after i got the job from first doing that issue of warp um i was up at dc and got a job from karen Berger uh doing illustrating uh, script for New Talent Showcase. I remember that. <laughs> um, I was uh, I did a couple of stories for for that book, mm-hmm. um, and it was a it was a race car story written by Mindy Newell. <laughs> um, I I ran into Karen Berger at American Library Association convention last year, and she's like, "What was the first time we ever did any work together?" And I said, <laughs> "I said it was a race car." Showcase written by Mindy Newell. She goes, "Oh, Mindy Newell," and uh, I guess it brought back a good, some good memory for her or something. <laughs> I was wondering if anybody. I, I, I honestly didn't read New Talent Showcase every issue. I was just wondering if anybody came out of there. You know, it's always like, "Here's our new star artist or our new star writer," and never hear from him again. But uh, yeah. you've done some stuff. So. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a few people who, you know, who went on from there to work regularly in the comics business. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had anybody that was, like, an incredible superstar or anything, but, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people came out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, after that, yeah. my regular, my first regular job was uh, inking um, Steve Root's pencils on Nexus. Oh, okay. Cool. So, that was, um, I, I had been reading Nexus beforehand, um, and before I got the job and I really liked it so that was a really really fun so fun so how did you get it did you just send some samples to Steve directly or to the publisher no, no. Or how did um, that work it, it had been published by I think it was Capital Comics yeah yeah um, and they went under and First Comics uh, took took on the property but um, they wanted it out monthly and Steve was not fast enough to pencil and ink it so they needed an inker um, they had they sent me some uh, Xeroxes of Steve's pencils which I inked on Lightbox I thought they were terrible but I got the job <laughs> <laughs> and how did Steve like it was he okay with it or um, 
yeah, he. Yeah, I think he. I, I mean, I was obviously I'm really obsessive, compulsive type, and uh, I'm really meticulous in my work. I think anybody can tell that by looking at it. Um, so I think Steve was really appreciative of that quality in my work. Uh, a couple times he call, he called me on the phone and and we discussed stuff. I mean, there were a few things that I had done that he didn't he didn't like, and so he was trying to he would give me um, you know some pointers on what he would rather see. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I mean, it, it was a it was a it was a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, it was work that I liked. I really loved Steve Rude's. I, I love Steve Rude's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really felt privileged to be able to ink his pencils. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little intimidating at first, <laughs> uh, and uh, but you know he's such a uh, excellent draftsman that it was um, an education in itself just to ink his work. Did you try to stay true to his pencil line, or is he kind of sketchy? I don't know how his pencils look. So. Oh no, he was incredibly, incredibly tight pencils at, at that time, and okay. I was, you know, very my my con, my uh, I, my desire was to uh, sublimate any of myself and just uh, you know make this look like his work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of my approach to any, inking anybody. Right. Uh, but uh, I inked him later in the 90s on a story that he drew for Harlan Ellison's Dream Corridor. Um, uh, the editor, I didn't speak to him when I did that, but the editor said, oh, Steve says that he pencils so differently now, so it's going to be, so when you get these pencils, don't be too shocked, because it's going to be a really different experience, because he pencils much more loosely now. Well, I got those pencils and, and inked them, and I don't know what he was talking about because <laughs> he still penciled really, really tight. Mm-hmm. At least in my in my estimation. Right. <laughs> Have you worked with him since, or are those are the two main times you've worked with him? Those are the times. Yeah. I yeah. I I, I haven't seen him in a few years. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, the last time I saw him was at a convention in San Diego. It wasn't Comic Con. It was Comic San Diego Comic Fest, which oh, is a much smaller show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh. Um. Oh, I was. I had some pencils from Age of Bronze and Bronze there, and he was looking at them, and he offered advice on a face. So he had sketched. He sketched on a different piece of paper the face that I had been drawing, and to like give me some pointers on drawing it better. So, uh, so I, I used his. Uh, and he used his uh, advice. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you do any more inking, or is by this time you're starting to do your own projects, or do you still ink on occasion? Um, you know, I would still ink on occasion. I haven't inked any major project that I can think of for a while now. I can't even remember the last time I inked someone else's work. But yeah, yeah, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily refuse that job. <laughs> um, but I inked a lot of stuff in the '80s and '90s, mm-hmm. a lot of other projects. What were, some, uh, what were some of the other ones, just out of curiosity? Uh, I inked uh, Kurt Swan on a Aquaman one-shot mm. about 1988. Um, that was just reprinted, and I still get people coming up to me at conventions and saying, boy, that was a great job. That was, like, really good inking on a Kurt Swan. Um, it was really late Kurt Swan mm. um, artwork. I can't remember when he died, mid-'90s? That I don't sounds know. about right. I'd have to look it up because... Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. 
since I didn't know we were going to talk about him, I was like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was like 97, 98, something, if memory serves, but yeah, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> I met him, I hadn't met him when I inked, inked that project, but I met him a few years later at a DC dinner in Connecticut, and he'd been drinking a little. Um, <laughs> But he was like, oh, you're the guy who, like, drew all those little lines. He goes, that's no way to work. That takes way too long. But, uh, I don't know. That's what I... I just... The pencils that he... he the pencils for the Aquaman project were really loose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't... I mean, I really like drawing... Inking on tight pencils mm-hmm. much better than I like inking on loose pencils. I don't want to have, as an inker, have to like wonder what the penciler meant. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to see what the penciler meant and then bring that out as much as possible to make it look as much like this is the penciler's work and the penciler's intentions. If it's difficult for me to understand what the penciler's intentions were at the beginning, um, that's not my that's that's not my philosophy. Mm. So. Um, uh, I like inking less that way. But Kurt Swan was inking pretty loosely then. And whenever he would, you know, he would just scribble in the blacks, the black areas. <laughs> and I couldn't tell, does he intend this to be a solid black area or does he tend, intend this to be, um, you know, all these lines? Oh. So I, my default as I went along would be just to ink it as lines, um, especially on the underwater scenes where, you know, it could look like ripples of the light, um, you know, uh, or the shadows coming through the water onto the, the bottom of the sea. I just thought that that sort of looked better and served the environment that he'd been drawing better. But I guess he didn't intend those to be <laughs> inked as lines. I guess he intended them to be solid black because of his reaction a couple years later. <laughs> Now, was he the most difficult person to ink that you've ever inked, or was... Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> because of that, or is there looser people? You don't have to name names if you don't want to... Oh, everybody's the same. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. It's just a different approach, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a different approach to who's drawing. And trying for me as the inker, trying to figure out what is their intention? Yeah. What is... What is the best thing? Um, I inked a Star Wars project that was penciled by Eddie Bukovic mm-hmm. um, in the mid-late 90s. Uh, his pencils, he tightened up because at first he wasn't, he was going to be inking himself, but the schedule didn't allow that, so the ice came in on the second issue. Mm-hmm. But the pencils for that issue were looser because he was going to be inking it, so he knew what he was going to be doing, and I had real problem telling what some of the costumes were on some of the characters. Mm. And when I got to the third issue, which he pencil much tighter because he knew he was not going to be inking it, um, I realized I had inked some of the costume details incorrectly in issue two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was annoying because I don't want to do a bad job. Right. right. Uh, but the situation was that because of the situation, he didn't know that someone else was, me, was going to be inking. That's why that that happened. Mm-hmm. But did it turn out okay? Like, did you correct it any sort of way, or no? You just had to go out that way? I'm trying to remember. I think it just went out because, <laughs> I mean, the, the second issue had to be in before I saw right, the third right. issue. <laughs> um, but 
time or even later on uh, did you do any situations where the situation was reversed uh, you were doing the pencils and somebody else is doing your inking or anything like that or typically just inking I have been in plenty of situations where I penciled and someone or I have been in a few situations yeah. where someone else is inking my work I really don't like someone else inking my work <laughs> uh, not just because I feel like artwork is artwork and it should come from the part from that one person um, sure, there have been teams of pencil inkers where the the result may be a greater, you know, greater than the sum of its parts, uh, or I mean, greater the sum of its parts is greater than in individual contributions. But I generally prefer to ink my own work. Mm -hmm. um, that's not because I don't like the results that I've seen when someone else has inked my work. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But uh, I just prefer to ink my own work. So it's usually when there's a, like a, a deadline or the project is, there's like um, the idea behind the project is that someone else is going to ink, hmm. ink my pencils. Um, uh, Sam De La Rosa inked pencils that I drew for this long forgotten <laughs> a superhero book called The New Wave that Eclipse published. And he actually, I mean, when I saw his his inking, it was really, really beautiful. I was really, really happy. Um, my pencil, I pencil really, really tight, though. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what the experience of being someone else inking my work really is. Than <laughs> 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 <Like> me. <laughs> Um, and, and when you're inking, uh, I'll go back to that. Uh, uh, do you, what type of uh, uh, for lack of a better term, equipment do you use? I mean, are you on on the computer or with brushes or pens or what do you use? Well, I don't ink on the computer at all. Oh, okay. Um, and and certainly didn't back then. Um, I usually try to decide. Well, what is the most uh, what what tool is going to bring out this these pencils to the best advantage? What would the penciler use if they were inking it? Um, so I used to switch between a pen, which I usually use for my own work, and brush. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't inked with a brush in a long, long time, though. Uh, I'm trying to think of a... <laughs> there was a project where I inked with a pen, and I later thought, oh, I really should have done that with a brush. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. I think the last time I inked... I inked um, some pencils by Carl Waller in the 90s for some Dark Horse project. Mm -hmm. And some of it I inked with a brush and some of it I inked with a pen, and I think that was the one where I was like, oh, I should have stuck with a brush for that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I always ask people their techniques because you know, people I interview, uh, like recently I interviewed Joe Staten, he says for Dick Tracy, he still does pen and ink, but uh, strips that are um, inked by Shelley Plager for that strip uh, are done on the computer, so it just depends on who's doing what, so yeah, you know, the strips yeah. look different, so <laughs> but uh, was wondering then uh, 
how you got from here where you're uh, doing penciling or inking or lettering or anything to uh, the first projects I think I've seen you on or saw you on were all those Wizard of Oz graphic novels. Is Did you do anything prior to that or uh, was that like your first personal type of, type of project? That was... Um what I done prior was was mostly lettering and and inking Nexus. Mm-hmm. Um, it was while I was I think it was like the second or third issue of Nexus, mm-hmm. and that was tough work. Um, I was working really long hours. I think the first issue of Nexus I had to stay up for thirty six hours to get it in on time. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and I just thought to myself, God, I can and and I felt this. I mean, inking is fine, but it's not drawing. It's not creating my own stuff, and I just felt this real, real need to be doing my own work. So I had been developing a proposal for an Oz comic book during my last year at the Hubert School, mm-hmm. and I shopped it around a little. Um, actually, DC was somewhat interested at one point for a proposed children's line mm-hmm. that never that never happened. And when when it was became pretty evident that this children's line was not going to happen. I took it elsewhere, and First Comics was was interested and eventually ended up publishing it. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I remember is the yeah. first one was the Enchanted Apples of Oz, if, if memory serves. Yeah. That. yeah, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> okay, and I was delighted because I liked the various Oz books by the various authors over the years, and I said, "Hey, cool, a new story." <laughs> So, um, (laughs) uh, and I thought you did a a very good job with it. Um, I was wondering, uh, were you a collector of the Oz stuff or, uh, just like the movies or, you know, there's no real right or wrong. What what did you, what was your previous exposure to Oz? Oh, I had been a rabid Oz fan since I was six years old. (laughs) My first, my first exposure was to the MGM movie with Judy Garland on TV, which I loved, but, um, uh, shortly after that, my parents um, had taken me and my sister to a bookstore and said, you can each pick out one book. And I saw these, like, there were like four of the Oz books on the shelf. And I'm like, oh my goodness, there are more Oz stories. <laughs> so excited. And so I picked one and that was like, you know, that was it. No turning back. Mm-hmm. I had to get all the Oz books. I, everything, everything Oz was like, oh, what? I have to have it. Okay, so you had a, a more than a working knowledge. You actually had a basically intimate oh, yeah. experience. Did you have just the bomb books, or did you go through the Thompson books and everything else? Well, um, the bomb books were the only things in print okay. at that time. This was the early seventies, mm-hmm. um, and and all the rest of the books didn't start coming in back into print until the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, collecting all these books in the time when. Uh, they just weren't available, so you had to get go to secondhand bookstores. And I found the International Wizard of Oz Club, and would they had a trading post that you could, you know, people advertised Oz books for sale. So I was buying books through the mail, and then I started going to Oz conventions and going to the auctions. And it took me until you know I was, I don't know, like in my mid twenties to get all get all forty of the official <laughs> Oz book series. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. When I was a kid, when I was little, it was like I have to get another, another Oz book and <laughs> get them for birthdays or Christmas, and uh, I just want them all the time. <laughs> now, when um, you... and I was decided I was going to grow up. When I grew up, I was going to write and draw my own Oz 
how it's going to continue the series. Wow. So, I mean, the, that that graphic novel series that came out from first was mm-hmm. was a direct, you know, that was the direct result of of that desire. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to write and illustrate my own Oz books, and it, but I didn't really put together for a long time. Oh, I can do Oz comics, then I'm writing and illustrating. But I finally did, so that was that was that was. Well, you've done it like different ways. Like the one, my first exposure to your work was, yeah, those graphic novels, and you did about five or six of them. Is that correct? Or is I did there more? five, five of them. Five yeah, of them. there were okay. there were four that came out from first, and then first uh, ceased publication. Uh, one always doing the fifth one, and that one finally came out from Dark Horse. Okay. And uh, for some reason, I thought that was the sixth one, but hey, who's counting? <laughs> the, um, and then there was uh, like a couple that you did as, as novelizations. Is that correct too? I've, I I always have some sort of Oz project going. So <laughs> yes, I've I've illustrated a, uh, a bunch of Oz books, um, and I've written a couple myself and illustrated those. And there's always some sort of Oz project going on. And then you did some where it was material written by the other Oz authors, including John Neal, which I don't know how you uh, swung that. How did you do that one? That one I haven't seen. Uh, that's called The Runaway in Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, John R. Neal took over the Oz series. He was the illustrator for the Oz series from the second book on. Right. Um, Frank Baum died, and then Ruth Homme Thompson wrote the Oz series for a while, and she, after she got through 19 books, she just goes, I'm tired of this. <laughs> and uh, and stopped. And so the publishers were like, "Oh, who are we going to get next?" And they go, "Well, let's go to John R. Neal. He's the illustrator, and let's ask him." So he said, "Sure." And he wrote he wrote four Oz manuscripts before his death. Mm-hmm. Um, the first three were published, but the fourth one was not published at oh, the time. Okay. It was 1943. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died before he could fully illustrate the book. So they didn't have illustrations, and it was also in the middle of World War II with paper shortages, and the publisher just decided that they were going to wait out the war to publish any more Oz books. Hmm. So um, uh, that book never got, the fourth John Arneal Oz book did not get published until the 90s when, uh, I don't know actually how they did the deal. I mean, the manuscript (laughs) was still in the Neal family. Okay. And uh, the publisher is Books of Wonder, um, their New York bookstore that also does some publishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they negotiated with the Neil family okay. to publish this book, and they approached me to be the illustrator, and I was like, yes! <laughs> was his manuscript complete, or did it have to have some work done on it? Uh, I, I did some editing on it. Okay. The manuscript was complete. Mm-hmm. But uh, John O'Neill wasn't a writer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, it just needed some help. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard that. I, I honestly haven't read any of his books, but I know about them. And, uh, you know, isn't it, it's his books that have, like, all the buildings are, like, alive and things like that and really yeah. strange things that didn't make any sense in comparison to the older books and things like that. Is that correct? It's Well, it, the story is... is it has a few wrinkles to it. I don't know how much time we have to talk about this. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> his first Oz book that he wrote was called The Wonder City of Oz. He turned it in the manuscript. The manuscript still exists, and um, if you can find a copy, you can read it. Uh, it is different than the published book. The 
because they had one of the an editor at the publishing company rewrite it. Mm. It is heavily rewritten, and a lot of these inconsistencies with the earlier Oz books were actually introduced by the editor, <laughs> and they are not in the original manuscript. Mm. Now, that's not saying the original manuscript was any gem by any means, uh, but uh, Neil's reputation as a writer isn't as he doesn't deserve all the knocks that he gets from okay. that book because he wasn't responsible for some of it. Hmm. I'll have to admit, a lot of my knowledge of those books and the later material comes from the Oz scrapbook. So whatever was in that book, which is a book yeah. I used to pour over when I was a kid, because oh, yeah. I said, what, the, I, there are other Oz books besides the the 14 that Baum did? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, uh -huh. you know, and I was like, what are these? You know, and it, um, there was a library local to me that had the Thompson ones. They didn't have the Neil ones, but they had the Thompson ones. And this is before uh -huh. they brought them back into print, so I would check them out and read them. So <laughs> I ended up reading them that way. But, I mean, it's been years. I don't even remember what happens in all of them now. But uh, then they did bring them back into print, so I thought that was kind of cool. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you working on any Oz projects currently, or uh, have any plans for to, to in the future? Well, I'm. Yeah, I, I sort of have this Oz project that is going really, really slowly. Uh, there was a play that L. Frank Baum, the author of the original Oz books, wrote called "The TikTok Man of Oz." And it mm -hmm. came out in nineteen. It was produced in nineteen thirteen. I actually did a revival of it. I produced a revival of it about six years ago at an Oz convention, hmm. and since then I've been trying to get, I want to publish the script and the score and a book of the history on the history of the show. Um, a lot of this stuff is, is, is done. I just need to uh, revise the history because mm -hmm. I've found more stuff since I worked on the show. So that's sort of my current Oz project, but I'm not working on it very hard because I've got so much other stuff to do. Um, also, my partner, David Maxine, is writing a, a history of another stage show that L. Frank Baum wrote, which was The Wizard of Oz, which was a huge hit on Broadway mm -hmm. starting in 1903. Um, so he's working on the history of that show. He's yeah. been working on that for about 20 years. He's now in the actual writing stage of the book. And I've been his research, research assistant for uh, about six years now, mm -hmm. and I'm totally involved in that. And yeah, I'm sort of his sounding board <laughs> for everything. So although that's not my project, I am heavily involved in it. That's cool. <laughs> we will be back after this message. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <coughs> Fun Ideas Podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from Lee's Comics of California, selling you what your mother threw out since 1982, online at leescomics.com. And now back to the Fun Ideas Podcast.
Is it easier to get an Oz project off the ground nowadays because it's being because it's in the public domain? Because I think when you started, it was still in copyright, wasn't it? Some of it was, yes. Yeah. And when I was working for First, I sort of had to be very careful about what characters and what concepts I I included in my work hmm. because I wasn't trying to say, oh, this is set back in uh, Baum's era because only the first few books were in public domain by then. Mm-hmm. I was trying to say, well, this happened after everything else, but I couldn't show everybody oh. all the characters that he had, he had created <laughs> after in the books that were still under copyright. I didn't know you did it that way. I just figured you got whatever you had to get cleared or whatever it was. So that's interesting. Oh, no, no. We were just working for public domain material. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, and then, uh, let's see, what other projects are you working on? You, you mentioned the Trojan War, Age of Bronze. How did that series come about? Well, that was totally my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, Actually, when I was working on the very last Oz graphic novel, uh, the one that Dark Horse published, uh, I've I, I listened to a lot of books on, I listen to a lot of audio books while I'm, while I'm painting or inking. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to, on cassette tape back then, uh, <laughs> uh, a book called The March of Folly from Troy to Vietnam by Barbara Tuckman. And the uh, chapter that she wrote on the Trojan War talks about how stupid the Trojans were to uh, drag the wooden horse into their city. And uh, it became clear to me that there were many, many different versions of the Trojan War that had been told over the centuries. Mm. And I just thought, boy, that'd be really, really interesting if I gathered all those different versions and put them all together into one long story. Boy, what a great comic book that would be. And I could, it'd be like this epic war thing. Boy, that sounds really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I could set it in the correct time period uh, so that all the, uh, you know, costumes and weaponry and architecture as authentic as possible. I just thought it sounded like a really great project, but really, really huge. Hmm. And so I tried to like push it off for a while, but it kept I sort of sort of captured my imagination. So finally, I just decided to just just do it. And so it took a few years to I did some research, and then it took a few years to like find a publisher. And, and so I've been doing it ever since. Hmm. Now that's an interesting statement. It's like because yeah. I know basics about the Trojan War but I mean it's like you said there was a bunch of different versions of it is because were people making yeah, well, up things or was it kind of like King Arthur and something something like that is that what you're talking about yeah I would say that's that's a very similar case to King Arthur mm-hmm. um, no one really knows what the kernel of truth is to the Trojan War uh, the oldest version we have is Homer's Iliad which was written or it wasn't written it was composed probably around the 8th century BCE at least that's what that's what scholars sort of the target date scholars the 7th or 8th century um, but it refers to stuff that probably happened about 500 years earlier mm-hmm. 13th century BCE mm-hmm. and yeah there were conflicts between the uh, what was then where Troy was, mm-hmm. um, what we know, the area we now know as Turkey, and the area we now know as Greece. There was all all kinds of conflicts back then. There was trading. There was all this stuff. So um, there was probably some basis for uh, some sort of large conflict that happened at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were lo- there was lots of un- 
age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was probably some sort of historical truth, whether there was whether there were people named Helen and Agamemnon and Achilles and Hector who actually existed. Well, um, there's, <laughs> I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. How about the like? things that people know about, like the Trojan horse and things like that. Do you think that things like that exist, or is that a legend as well? Or we're not I don't sure? know. I yeah. don't know what the basis is for the legend of the Trojan horse. I mean, it's first talked about by Homer in his epic poem, The Odyssey, which is sort of a sequel to the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but there's a lot of fantasy in the Odyssey. Right. So um, there's not as much the Iliad is much more based in reality, although the gods come down and fight with mortals. <laughs> uh, but there's more explicit fantasy in in the Odyssey. Uh, so I don't know. Is, was there uh, some sort of, sort of historical basis, some sort of siege engine? People have speculated. Scholars have have come up with theories. Um, what we do know is there was a, a city on a hill in northwestern Turkey. Um, that's been identified since as the the location of the city of Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was an actual location that that was in conflict that inspired the story, I don't know. Certainly, I think it's pretty certain that um, Homer, the composer of the Iliad, was familiar with that city, with that area, and set his story there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of questions. I mean, we're talking about prehistory. Right, right. <laughs> and... Even is, is there like a lot of knowledge even about Homer himself, other than they wrote these stories? No, no yeah, one knows that's what I figured. Was, yeah. or, or what he was. Yeah, that's what I figured. But I figured you're the expert. You might know more than I do about it. I didn't think there was, but yeah. <laughs> certainly, certainly, the Iliad and the Odyssey were both orally composed initially. They weren't written down until about the sixth century BCE. Mm-hmm. Um, oral, oral poetry was a tradition in the in Greece in the area around there, um, and uh, there were certainly people going around singing these stories, uh, whether there was one single person called Homer, who mm. knows, whether mm. it was a tradition, whether Homer was a, people speculated that Homer was a woman, mm. who knows, we just don't know. Yeah, and uh, even getting it down on paper, however they recorded it eventually, uh, that might not even have been done then, right? It might have been done... Hundreds yeah, was, of years later, even it was done. In, it was done in Athens in the sixth century BCE. Um, one of the nobility of Athens, I can't remember who, um, said, "This is an important work, um, and I want the, the I want you to write down the whole thing." So they did. <laughs> Very simple, I guess. Okay, yeah, because I, I, you know, I knew about just as much as that the stories exist, and I've read them, and that's about it. <laughs> I don't know much beyond that, so that's why I was kind of curious. Uh, do you, because that you have a lot of creative license with it, I guess, and you can do whatever you want. Uh, well, people, well, people have done whatever they wanted for hundreds and hundreds of years right. with this story. But I mean, I guess, uh, I guess my better question is, like, do people say that wouldn't happen back then, or take issue with anything you've written or anything like that, or uh, they're usually pretty cool about what you come up with? Well, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, since I began this project, I've become acquainted with many, many archaeologists and classicists and philologists, mm-hmm. uh, people who I would, people who I didn't didn't have any you know, real awareness of before. 
before <laughs> before I became interested in this project because this because the Trojan War was not like the Oz books. The Oz books is, were like something I wanted to do ever since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, the Trojan War, although I had read Greek mythology over the years, it wasn't something that had really captured my interest. Not like suddenly the Trojan War had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, when I began the Age of Bronze, I realized I'm going to have to familiarize myself with this whole milieu the same way that I know the Oz books. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to know the Trojan War inside and out, just like I know Oz and all of the, all the history surrounding the writings of, of the Oz books and the illustrations of the Oz books and all this all this Oz stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had to educate myself. Um, beyond the imagination of any doctoral program, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but and so in the course, I've met a lot of people and run into and come across people and uh, who know who this is their livelihood studying this. Yeah, stuff. and so that's why um, those are the people I'm kind of referring to. Did they say that so, wouldn't happen, or you so, shouldn't be doing? Yeah. That. <laughs> I have, I've, you know, and I've had reactions all across the spectrum. <laughs> people like love it. And people who like go, uh, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> and if, you know, when they say I don't know about that, mm-hmm. uh, I have to take that, take those opinions into consideration. Right. Um, and sometimes the people who say I love it, like point out things like, well, I'm, I don't agree with this particular aspect of what you've done. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's one guy who I sent him. Uh, I, I had his book, and so I sent him some issues of the comic. It had been out for a few years, mm-hmm. and his reaction was not was not uh, particularly good. Um, and he questioned some of the decisions I'd made. Um, and I had basis. I had you know basis is basis for all the decisions that he questioned, uh, but he obviously wasn't very interested. Then at a a conference a few years later I actually ran into him and I you know I didn't speak to him very much but we were cordial but I had some of uh, my original art with me uh, pages from the comic and he said to me um, oh that he liked the, actually the way that I had drawn Helen's hair <laughs> so I felt good about that <laughs> kudos from an expert I don't know um uh, so, what are the long-term plans for this series? Is it ongoing, and or does it have an, a set? Yeah, it's, end? Still, it's still going, although it's it's slowed down. Um, we're it's being reissued in color now. The first volume, uh, a Thousand Ships, came out in color last uh, last year, and we're trying. Uh, the deadline is two weeks away for volume two. And the colorist, I'm working with the colorist, and he and I are both like send emailing stuff back furiously. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get this done. Uh, so that'll be out in November, um, Volume 2 of Age of Bronze, Sacrifice. And then the third and fourth volumes will be out in color mm-hmm. in the next two years. And uh, I'm trying to get uh, enough material done for the uh, the next volume for the three years from now. We mm. can keep that pace up. <laughs>
digital only. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea if this if people are even paying attention to it digitally. I've gotten very little reaction from the digital release. Mm. Um, now all the, but co- the I'm really excited about the color. I think the color looks great. The colorist is John Dallaire. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, this is I love this project, Age of Bronze. This is like my my I love this as much as I've ever loved the Oz books. So um, it's really important to me, and uh, well, I'll keep working on it till it's done. Mm-hmm. And the publisher again on this on all these? Image. No, it's Image not, okay, that's why I thought. And and on the compilations too as well. Yes, they, they yeah. do it all. Okay, all right. I was just yeah. kind of curious. Um, you've done a few other things that were kind of interesting. I don't know if I saw all these, but you did the Little Nemo comic for IDW. Was that an ongoing project, or is that like a one-shot thing? Uh, Little Nemo, Return to Slumberland, I wrote that for IDW. It was a four-issue miniseries and then collected. Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez is the artist. He's, it's beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we've got an Eisner for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that was a one-shot. I mean, it was a four-issue series, and so it was a contained thing. But, yeah, I'm actually writing a sequel oh, right okay. now, and Gabe's going to be doing the artwork, and uh, the editor Scott Denbeer at IEW, and he's really excited. And uh, i got to get working on it. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, that'll be out. I don't know I don't know when that'll, that'll be out, but, yeah, it's it's going. Okay. Um, finally, because IEW had been telling me ever since the first series came out, yeah, we're going to do a sequel, we're going to do a sequel. When did the first one come out? Oh, it's been a few years now. Was it 2015? Oh, okay. 2016, something like that. I can't remember for sure. I'm sorry. Okay, that's fine. I can look it up. But uh, just kind of curious on that. And then uh, it says you did an updated version of the old Joe Simon series for DC called Prez. Yes. (laughs) That was... Yeah, Ed Brubaker wrote that, and I did the artwork. That came out in the Mm mid-90s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had read a couple issues of Prez when I was a kid. I didn't really like it. Um, Ed was then, he hadn't hit it really big yet, but he was sort of up and coming it, and he hadn't done any real work for DC yet. Mm -hmm. So he was like, let's do something for DC. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, okay. And he's like, let's do Prez. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) But that project, it wasn't with the original Prez. It was sort of this sequel with another character right. who was who believed he was the son of Prez. Mm-hmm. And the story was sort of him exploring that, mm-hmm. that aspect of his life, because this was a story he didn't heard ever since, since he was a kid, that he was Prez's son. Mm. But Prez had been, Prez had been assassinated. Um, that had been established in a Sandman issue, I think. And we had to pay attention to um, the Sandman issue as well as the original series, <laughs> which was sort of weird because the Sandman issue sort of warped, did some retconning on the original series. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't think I saw that one. I think I did see the one that you did, and uh, I didn't know you were involved with it, so that's why I was like, oh, okay. So when you mentioned that, there was a son and everything, I said, I think I read that <laughs> when it came out. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, And then, let's see... You've gotten a few awards, uh, but I don't know what they're for, so you'll have to tell me. Uh, gotten a couple Eisner awards, is that correct? 
Yeah, I my first Eisner was for Age of Bronze. I got a couple for Age of Bronze. Um, I got some for the Oz series that I uh, did with Scotty Young, and then one for Little Nemo. Cool. With with Gabriel Rodriguez. And then uh, an Ignatz Award. I don't even know what an. I, I mean, I know who what Ignatz is, but I mean, I don't know what the awards is for. <laughs> the Ignatz Awards are in the late nineties. They might have gone into the early two thousands. I can't remember. Um, I did not get an Ignatz Award. Oh, I, okay. I think I was only nominated. Oh, okay. And that was for Age of Bronze. Oh, okay. And uh, was that for art and writing, or just writing, or yeah. just art? Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't remember what the award specifically was for. Um, but I, I both write and draw Age of Bronze, so yeah. I don't I don't know. It was might okay. have been like the best new project or something like that. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And then another one, and if I pronounce this wrong, Gran Guinigi. <laughs> Gran Guinigi. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Italian. Yeah, I, I won. I won the best. Uh, <laughs> God, I don't know. Best project from for best foreign project. And it was an Italian broad, it was an Italian award, so I was it was foreign there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I guess I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know what it was for, but it was a Grand Guinigi. I think that was two thousand six and it was for Age of Bronze. Oh okay. for the Italian so, edition of Age of Bronze. So Age of Bronze is probably won you the most uh, recognition and awards, basically. Well okay. I think I got three for the Oz. The, oh, okay. Yeah, well I mean Age of Bronze is my favorite thing, so mm-hmm. I'm glad of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but working with Scotty on um, the Oz series we did for Marvel was really a really great uh, experience too. Mm-hmm. But Scott, Scotty and I didn't work really close together. Scott it was Scotty Young. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote I wrote scripts adapting L. Frank Baum's first six Oz books for Marvel, and Scotty drew them. Um, when I I didn't I, I didn't know Scotty's work before they put us together, mm-hmm. um, and so I looked it up online and saw some of the work. And it was, I didn't know. I thought it was going to be, what I was afraid of was, at the initially, was that it was going to be this really Marvel look type book with Dorothy with big tits and all the characters <laughs> with guns or something like that. Um, and, but I took the job anyway, because I figured, like, oh, well, it'll just pay me and it's going to be. It was, initially it was under the Marvel imprint, Marvel Illustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, which folded before we ever w- went to print with that, so it just mm. turned out to be a regular Marvel book. But you know that Marvel. Mar- whenever anybody tries to redo Classics Illustrated, it never works. It always fails after you know a year or so. Yeah. Um, so I figured this was not going to be seen by anybody, and I would just take the paycheck for the writing and whoever what the artwork looked looked like didn't matter. Mm-hmm. But then I started seeing Scotty's artwork, and it was. Um, I remember. Sp- I mean, I was impressed by it at the beginning because the first thing I saw was his design for Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And then I, I know that if you're adapting The Wizard of Oz, you have to get Dorothy right because if it's not a character that the reader wants to uh, travel with during this project, um, that your, your adaptation of The Wizard of Oz is not going to work if you don't get Dorothy right. Mm-hmm. So I, the first thing I saw was Scotty's Dorothy, and I go, oh, yes. <laughs> I go, this is going to actually work. This might be good. Um, Did he uh, create a new design, or is it in the same uh, Winslow or later Neil design? Um, Scotty's design was totally new. Okay. He just went back to the original book. Um, okay. We both went back to the original book and just like tried to uh, sort of not 
options. Um, and that's what I encourage Scotty to do. Uh, we talked on the phone beforehand. Mostly we just uh, talked by email, and we didn't really collaborate much at all. Hmm. Um, I just sent him the scripts, and he did his magic. Um, so even I wrote it. I wrote in the scripts. I wrote like you got to get Dorothy right because if if right. Uh, just what I just what I said to you, you know, if, if the reader doesn't doesn't warm up to Dorothy immediately, yeah, if he doesn't, if, if there's no sympathy for Dorothy, this project is not going to work. So you right. got to whatever your design is for Dorothy, she's got to be sympathetic immediately. Um, and I, you know, I sent him information on on underwear from. You know, kids' underwear from 1899. Just like you know, whatever. I just wanted to give him the best basis, he could, best foundation he could. I could give him mm-hmm. to like build this project on. Um, uh, and from my and using, uh, I think Marvel Marvel wanted me to write this because they knew that uh, I had this uh, fund of experience and knowledge mm-hmm. with the Oz with Oz, so that I'd be able to bring so much more to it than just someone trying to adapt the book who only knew a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I tried to actually give Scotty the benefit of, of all my knowledge, you know. Um, but it was it was the scene where they're, where they're crossing the river, where the characters are crossing the river on the raft. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got those, that was, that's like, I don't know, that's issue two of the, of the adaptation, of Scotty's adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw those pages from Scotty, I mean, I had liked his work up until that point, but once I saw, once I saw that scene, it was like, oh my God, this is actually really, really good. <laughs> and like, I don't know what the readers, what, what the reaction is going to be once this book comes out, but this is an excellent, excellent project. And Scotty is just like, great. He's just, he's really gotten this worked down. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the project <laughs> was like this explosion of, of great, great sales, great publicity, great, great critical reaction, mm-hmm. um, so, which was totally shocking to both of Scotty and me. <laughs> I mean, Scotty had turned, actually has turned this project down two or three times mm-hmm. before they, you know, Marvel kind of twisted his arm to like do it. Mm-hmm. He, he thought it was going to be a like, kill his career. Mm-hmm. Because it was, you know, going to be Marvel Illustrated, and nobody pays attention to that, right, right. and no one was going to see it, and he was just going to disappear, and no one. And but the the opposite happened. It was like we were, you know, on the New York Times bestseller list. It was, mm-hmm. um, I think, the graphic the graphic novel collection was um, one of Marvel's top ten revenue getters in two thousand nine or two thousand ten or whenever that was. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was. It was a total, total shock. It was like great. Scotty and I were at an Oz convention the the day um, it hit the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> um, we knew it was going to happen because yeah. they had told us a couple of days beforehand, but we couldn't tell anybody. Um, but uh, Scotty was down in the lobby of the hotel, sitting there, like looking at his phone, <laughs> refreshing it over and over again, and. Um, I came down and he was like, "Go, oh, dude, look!" So it was really fun. Now you said you uh, made special consideration for Dorothy. How about any of the other characters—Tin Man, Lion, whatever—to uh, get them accurate, or did, was he? Did he have free reign to redesign them any way he pl- pleased? Scotty could do whatever he wanted, yeah. uh, as long as the editor accepted it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
through in my scripts I tried to give him foundation as much foundation as I could I would give him say for the scarecrow I would tell him I would just write in the, the description that Baum had written in the original book I said this is what Baum wrote mm-hmm. I would then say like this is what Denslow did who was W.W. W. Denslow was the original illustrator of the book yeah. this is what John Arneal did later um, you know uh, and give him as much of my knowledge as I could just to give him something to work with I wasn't trying to tell him what to design or yeah. how to draw right. uh, but I wanted to give him a foundation uh, thank you for, thank knowledge. you for correcting me because I think I said Winslow earlier I meant Denslow but there we go anyway <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, uh, sure. So, uh, any other of those Oz books uh, on the way, or is that series all done at this point? No, that series is done. We okay. did six of them. Um, I would love to do more, but Scotty's been gone on to other things. I'm not sure. No, I mean, the sales didn't go keep up as well, mm. although they were still popular. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think uh, Marvel was as. Uh, there wasn't as much uh, financial incentive for Marvel to keep that going. Right. Um, and Scotty, I think, was interested in doing other things. He's doing a couple, you know, a lot of other projects now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the, the odds. He, he's told me since like the odds have totally changed his career. Mm-hmm. He made his career. He was, um, you know, the sort of second string superhero artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And his style was such that people didn't like it. Oh. And now he's like, oh, everyone loves his work. <laughs> so, although, you know, every once in a while, I mean, I'm really still in touch with Oz fandom. Mm-hmm. So when those books started coming out, I was really enthusiastic about Scotty's work, but I would get, you know, big Oz fans telling me, oh, we don't like it. We wish you drew it. <laughs> and I, I totally understand that. But, you know, the, the project wouldn't have happened if they had asked me to draw it. I didn't, I didn't want to draw it. I didn't want to have, I didn't have time. Right. I'm totally, I'm totally happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, totally out of left field, I thought, uh, but it seems like you're doing it uh, more than once. Uh, you're starting to draw uh, Casper, the friendly ghost, <laughs> for um, oh, yeah. uh, American mythology. How did that come about? <laughs> well, I mean, I loved, I loved the Harvey characters, Harvey Comics characters, mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the first comic I ever bought with my own money was a Casper comic. And uh, so, you know, over the years, I've always thought, oh, that'd be fun if I could draw those. And there's actually <laughs> been, you know, they've published Richie Rich a couple times. Right. And um, I always thought, oh, how can I get in on that? Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing Richie Rich a couple of years ago. Dan Parent was drawing it. And I saw Dan at a convention. I'm like, how can I, are, is there room for someone else to draw Richie Rich? Because I don't want to take any work away from you. But who's doing this? And he's like, he, and he said, yeah, sure. Write this person, write this person. Um, the editors at the company that was publishing it. So I did, and I never got any response. Mm-hmm. But within like a month or two, um, I saw on Facebook uh, a guy I'd known at the Kubert School uh, posted a Casper cover, and I'm like, "What? How did this happen?" So I wrote him on Facebook. I said, "How did you?" It was Jeff Shearer, and I said, mm. "Jeff, who's publishing this? Yep. Is there, you know?" do they have enough work? Because I don't want to take any work away from you, but could I draw Casper too? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. Um, Mike Wolfer's the editor. Mike Wolfer was someone else that we knew, both knew at the Keyword School. Oh, okay. <laughs> and 
he said, yeah, just write Mike and see what see what he says. So I, I, I wrote Mike on, on Facebook. I think it was on Facebook. I can't remember if I wrote him or, or Jack gave me his direct email. But And Mike was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have to do, I don't even think I had to send in, I think I sent Mike samples because I was just writing him cold, but um, um, he didn't, he wasn't really like, well, let me see how you draw the Casper and all, his, all the other characters. So he was just like, yeah, here, try a script. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I did have to get, he did send me a, a ref- the, sort of the, the Bible. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it was just a few pages of the characters because um, DreamWorks owns the characters now and they're, right. they're very uh, insistent on being really on model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have all, you know, tons and tons of Harvey comics, mm-hmm. all the ones that I had bought as a kid and I've been, I had since collect, um, been collecting Casper comics. Mm-hmm. So I had plenty of reference, but they have a few very specific things that um, uh, are actually not the way that they used to be drawn. Right. So I have to pay attention to that. And they're very specific about the look, because Casper, I mean, was published for a couple decades, so several decades. So um, the look evolved but DreamWorks is very insistent on a specific look for Casper and his supporting characters. Well, I'm glad they're insistent on the look they are using, I'll say that, uh, because I didn't know how involved they were one way or the other. Um, I've been trying to get into writing the Casper comics. I might have told you this. I got a couple stories published by them, but of Ant and the Aardvark and Three Stooges, which I have knowledge of too, but it's like, you know, as you may or may well, you know my one book. You know, I don't know if you ever saw the Harvey Comics Companion. I'm, I'm to you, as you are the Oz guy. I'm the Harvey guy. I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so I know like everything, and it's like, um, I will say this on the on the American mythology thing. I thought the new artists were doing okay. You know, like, well, that's kind of on model and stuff like that. And then the first work that I saw you on was that. Uh, free comic book day giveaway. I don't know if that's the first thing you did. No, it's but, not, actually. Okay. But that's the first thing I saw you on, and I posted that saying, this is coming out on free comic book day probably about six months before it actually came out. And I don't know if you're on the Harvey page on Facebook, but everybody's like, who is this guy? Who is that? You know, and I said, it's Eric Schenauer. He did Oz books. Oh, that guy. You know, it's like he's about the only guy that can draw Casper. <laughs> <laughs> So you're getting all these kudos. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I did see some. Of, I did see some of that, and I was I was very flattered. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, I said that's not the first work I did for Harvey. Mm-hmm. I mean, for American Mythology, mm-hmm. but I don't know for sure because the there was all reprints for the free comic book day, except for the cover. It was right. Reprint, and I think they might have reprinted some. Maybe the first things I did for them, I don't remember. Well, you might have had a story, but is that I think that is the first cover you did, or at least the the first one that. That was like the main cover because I know they do like 27 covers each issue, which to me is yeah. kind of annoying. Yeah, but that's what they like to do, so it's like okay, fine. <laughs> because I would rather have them just do an ongoing series monthly and just have one cover. But you know, hey. <laughs> well, that's, they're trying to squeeze as much money out of uh, the market as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, and I don't. There, I don't know how well the, the books sell. Um, yeah. They're not. They're for specific, specific audience, nostalgia audience, and children's audience, and yeah. I'm not sure that they're in the right place to reach those audiences 
let's say I know some comic stores. Well, Lee's Comics, uh, who's a sponsor of this show, uh, he carries them, and so I bought them from there. But yeah, typ- well, typically, Lee's comics, Lee's comics is a really, really good comic store. Yeah, but typically, I hate to say it, I won't mention any stores up here in Oregon. But uh, typically, if I if I need an issue uh, and I'm not down in the Bay Area, you know, I just uh, uh, Get it off of eBay. I hate to say, you know, because then I have to pay for shipping yeah. and stuff like that. So, but yeah. I try to keep up on all of them. But yeah, I can't get all the cover variants. So it's like if you do one cover variant and I've already purchased the issue, it's like uh, I guess I can't get. <laughs> I I can't say I don't. It's just you know I hate it when they do like t- seven cover variants and it's like uh, just have one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I know. I, I don't have I don't have any pull that way even though I've told them so they gave them that suggestion but you know, hey anyway I'm glad they're publishing I'll I'll keep it on a positive note that somebody's publishing Casper um, oh, so am I so am I especially in a, in a very traditional Casper yeah. I mean they're trying to keep it in the same vein as as the Casper everyone knew and loved in in the fifties sixties and seventies right. Uh, so, uh, and that's the one, and, you know, the Casper in the 70s and early 80s was the Casper I loved, so yeah, yeah. I'm totally, totally happy with this, and I love drawing it. It's really, really fun to draw. Yeah. Um, and that's back, my favorite, too. Uh, I mean, it's like I liked those Marvel Caspers that came out, that uh, they mainly came out in England, but based on the Fox TV cartoon show and the movie, but, you know, it's like, I like my Casper with feet, <laughs> and I like the Enchanted Forest, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, 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 total. <laughs> Are written well. It's just they they wanted to draw him without any feet. I don't get that. And he's always flying around. It's like that's not the way you look. You're making a new character. That's how I saw it. But anyway, <laughs> um, any new projects or anything else going on today? Or did you want to say one more thing about Casper? I was just going to talk about Casper and Harvey. Con- I mean, sure. Casper now. Um, so I'm drawing Casper and Wendy and Spooky and Hot Stuff. Mm-hmm. And Hot Stuff is now a, a legitimate supporting character in the Casper universe, whereas it used to be um, they just crossed over once in a while. It was really yeah. rare that yeah. they would ever meet because mm-hmm. Hot Stuff was sort of its own project, mm-hmm. its own property. <laughs> but now they're all together. Actually, a story I just penciled um, takes place um, in the in the Enchanted Forest, and it's uh, basically a spooky hot stuff story. Hmm. Um, no, it's a, just a hot stuff story, but everyone everyone's in it. Um, cool. <laughs> they're, they're, they're performing. Um, hot stuff has to sort of perform for... Uh, it's at sort of like a, a fair, a county fair type of thing. So it's the Enchanted Forest Fair. And so I get to draw everybody in the background. So... Um, the Mark Wolfer did the script, wrote the script, and he's just like, put these characters in, and anybody else you want. <laughs> so I'm like putting everybody in. I, I didn't put Stumbo in though, because yeah. I didn't. Um, there's really not opportunity to put in a giant character, mm-hmm. but I put in characters that hadn't been in before, mm. um, like w- Wendy's aunts, mm. and uh, I don't think I'd drawn Nightmare actually in a story before. Yeah, but they're all in. Yeah. Um, 
of of the Enchanted Forest type characters, right? You're not yeah, you're yeah. not talking about like Richie Rich and stuff too. No, no, DreamWorks, <laughs> DreamWorks doesn't have the license to Richie Rich or any like Little Dot, any of the real world characters. Yeah, it was that with that other publisher? I mean, there was one issue of Harvey Hits that uh, came out by Joe Books, and I think that's the one that Dan Parent was working on. And only one issue came out, even though there was covers for three other issues, and then it just went. Pfft. Gone. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what happened with that. I mean, that's what I was. That's what I um, asked Dan Perrin about. Yeah. Can I get in on this? And I never got a response. So I guess it just was sort of dead by then. But the Casper stuff came up immediately mm-hmm. after that. So I was happy. And it's been a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Richie Rich more than Casper. Although Casper and Richie Rich, the title. Mm-hmm. Richard and Casper, that title was like the best. Yes, that's and my favorite. That issue came out. That was like <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, although I sort of outgrew it after a while yeah. um, and had to recollect the um, <laughs> the later issues of that series as an adult because right. <laughs> I didn't buy them as a kid. Um, but I love Ca- I love Richie Rich, yeah. um, and Casper was good, but it wasn't my favorite. Hmm. But as an adult, it was when Dark Horse put out those compilations, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, yeah. of all the Harvey stuff, and I read the Casper one, and I was like, God, this is so charming and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then the Rich, Rich one came out, and I read that, and I was like, huh, I don't really like this anymore. <laughs> Everything is a, either a joke about money, or it's this rip-roaring adventure, which isn't isn't very deep at all. And I used to remember really loving the adventures. Mm-hmm. The first Rich Rich comic I ever bought with my own money it was an issue of Rich Rich Dollars and Cents. And there was a story about an airplane that could take off vertically. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that story. I do, I do actually. Um, <laughs> and they go, and there's a, I remember a scene where they're like, Reggie's along and they're, he's like being a, uh, not very nice, I can't <laughs> You can say whatever you want. <laughs> not a nice guy. I mean, he's just being Reggie. And they're, like, fighting with... Uh, with but. Uh, you know, <laughs> anyway. in the jungle. They're fighting in the jungle with, yeah. with um, rifles. And it was really exciting. Mm. As a kid, I, was, I found it a really exciting story. But as an adult, it's like, oh, this isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> and, but Casper was so charming, still yeah. an adult. Yeah. And, uh... And so I'm really glad that, that this is the way it worked out. Like, Richie Rich, yeah, they don't care. They don't want me there. They, this is going down the tubes. And then Casper's like, yeah, we want you to do this. Mm-hmm. And Mike Wolfer's scripts, um, I mean, they capture, I feel like they capture the sensibility of the old stuff really, really well. Mm-hmm. And not everything is the same, but it's the vein is so much more than I felt like it could have been, it could have been right um, so I'm, uh, I'm happy drawing Casper and happier drawing Casper than I probably would have been drawing Richie Rich yeah yeah I mean I like you you know it's like I would prefer Casper over Richie Rich too but hey if you if you don't have any choice and it's one of those characters yeah I'll do Richie Rich <laughs> but yeah yeah I would have loved to draw Richie Rich for a little while yeah or I would love to draw a little dot and a little lotta. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I would. I don't know how long though. I don't know. I've been doing Casper now for two years, and right. it's like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Let's and do more. We're in the middle of a continuing story now. Right. And uh, uh, I, there's still half of it to go. I 
Um, yeah, I just wish they'd up their schedule, but I understand their company. It's very small. And, it's not yeah. their fault. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And I'm not I blaming them. I can't, I can't, I don't, I can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't, uh, you know, I, I won't either because, I mean, it's not because I work for them, you know, it's like I just understand how publishing works, and it's like the fact that they get them out at all is, like, miraculous, but, you know, I'm glad they're coming out, you know, so I'm happy, you know, the only yeah. thing I quibble about is the multiple covers, but there's probably some sort of marketing reason that they insist upon it, and, and that's fine, I just don't care for it, that's all, <laughs> but anyway, um, not to beat a dead horse about that, but anyway, <laughs> Um, let's see. I was going to say something else about uh, Casper. Um, yeah, it's, it's like the stories I tended to like best were the ones written by Stan Kay, who did all the Richie Rich and Casper books. Uh, he also wrote all the Harvey Hostess ads. I don't know if you remember those, but um, oh yeah, yeah. And uh, Kramer is my and the, favorite. And the, Go ahead. He wrote the, the there was a game Cootie. Yeah. Cootie. Oh there's yeah. This awful game. Mm-hmm. And Cootie was going to be like a supporting character. Mm-hmm. There was one advertisement. Yep. That was like the hostess ads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then it never happened. Nothing ever happened with that. No. <laughs> but uh, and then Kramer's my favorite artist over there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to come out some decade. Uh, I have my Kramer book coming out with cooperation of the Warren Kramer family. I interviewed everyone. Great. I have Great. illustrations, not just of Casper and Richie Rich, but like his later stuff that he did at Marvel and the earlier stuff that he did for pulp magazines and everything. So uh-huh. I'm just like, please come out sometime. <laughs> yeah, but it's turned in. That's the best I can say about it, you know, which took forever to get to that level. I don't know if you've had any projects like that where, you know, it's just the genesis of it is forever. <laughs> and you're like, ah, I want this thing out, but... Anyway. Oh, yeah. So. Every project. <laughs> every project. <laughs> Not every project, but every project that I generate myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you got there's a lot of work that goes on. Mm-hmm. So, um, as I was about to say a few minutes ago, uh, is there any other projects that you're... Uh, you're I know you're working on the ones we talked about, uh, but uh, is there any other type of projects that you are planning or would like to do or anything like that at this point? Um, I have, I, I'm doing, I'm doing a one-page, uh, comic, comic for a project called Hey Amateur, hmm. which Shelley Bond is producing. Um, it's a project where she's gathered over 50 cartoonists, and they're each doing a one-page in nine panels on how to do some task. Hmm. So I'm drawing, I chose how to perform an ondeor pirouette, <laughs> which, is, which is a part of ballet, yeah. uh, a step in ballet. So I'm, I'm writing and illustrating that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's due in a couple weeks, and I've got to get working on it. Okay. And, uh, so that'll be out sometime. I just wrote an afterword for a project that's being published by Clover Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are planning on reprinting all the Ruth Plumley Thompson Oz books with new illustrations. Oh, okay. So I wrote the afterword for the first one, mm-hmm. which is the Royal Book of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure when that will be out, probably early next year. Do you know who's um, doing the illustrations then? Sarah Richard okay. is doing the illustrations. Um, a couple of them have been posted on online. 
online. Um, the, that book was a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, okay. So you can see the Kickstarter campaign still up if you want to. Okay. I hey, amateur, hey, amateur book was a, that Shelley Bond is doing uh, is also a, was also a Kickstarter campaign, so if anybody wants to look at samples from that, they can see that too. All of my samples aren't up. Okay. I'm sure they'll show samples in, like, the Baum Bugle the next time one comes out, probably. I'm sure there'll be a review. I don't know what the Bugle, if the Bugle will be, cover, will be doing an article on it or not. Mm. I don't know. Okay. And, oh, just, I didn't ask this back then, but uh, when you were working on your various Oz books, were they covered in the Baum Bugle? Yeah. Um, there were certainly reviews of mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. and... Uh, I think about 1989 there was a feature feature article on me, mm -hmm. and I do stuff for the I do little things for the Beagle here and there every once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, I used to illustrate they used to reprint rare L. Frank Baum stories, and I illustrated a few of those. Mm, okay. um, the most recent thing I did for the Baum Beagle was a review of a graphic novel at adapting L. Frank Baum's fantasy children's book, The Sea Fairies. Oh, it's, called, okay. it's called The Sea Sirens. Uh -huh. It's just out, and I can't remember the publisher or the writer. That's okay. The artist, whose name I can't remember, I'm sorry. That's okay. The artist was the artist for Return of the Dapper Men, who oh. that won Best Graphic Novel Eisner a few years ago. Oh, wow, okay. And I just wrote a review. I just wrote a review of Sea Sirens for the Bomb Bugle. Very good. I'll I'll look for it the next time it comes out because I'm a subscriber myself. <laughs> right. And uh, any convention appearances in the next few months for you? I don't. I, no, I don't have anything coming up. Oh really? Oh, okay. Um, oh, sort of good. <laughs> not even WinkyCon. <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'll be at yeah, yeah I'll be at the I'll be at Ozcon. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Winky, the Winky Convention has, has, is now called OzCon International. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll be at the next one, which is in Pomona next July, Pomona, okay. California, OzCon okay. International. Are you, are you setting up or are you just going to it? Uh, usually I do a, a presentation. Oh, okay. Um, I, I often have a signing at a table, but I've been going to Oz Conventions since I was 15 years old, and uh, uh, I'm no... <laughs> anymore, anymore. <laughs> Usually, I sign a few books here and there, mm. but everybody's gotten everything signed by me by this point. <laughs> um, but I usually do a pre presentation. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm it's usually something I'm excited about. Uh, the most recent OzCon International in was in Pomona. That's their sort of their permanent home at this point. Mm. Um, yeah. A couple uh, month, two months ago, I my presentation this past year was on Fred Woodward, um, The Hidden History of Hank the Mule. Uh, <laughs> Fred Woodward was this guy who played Hank the Mule on stage in the play The TikTok Man of Oz. Earlier, he had also played The Cowardly Lion and Imogene the, the Frolicsome Heifer, Dorothy's Pet Cow, in The Wizard of Oz, the Broadway hit. And then uh, after he played Hank the Mule, he took Hank the Mule into vaudeville and um, uh, he played Hank the Mule for the next few decades up until through the 40s or early 50s. Um, <laughs> most of the time he did it in Europe mm -hmm. 
wife, his assistant in vaudeville, and she, when they divorced a couple of years in the mid-20s, she had gotten the rights to play Hank the Mule in the U.S., mm-hmm. and he took the rights to, to play Hank the Mule in Europe. So he went to Europe, mm. played Hank the Mule all over the place, oh. um, London, Paris, all over France, Berlin. When World War II started, he went back to England and just stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, and toured around with Hank the Mule. Um, Hank the Mule, meanwhile, in the U.S., was at the World's Fair in 1934, played by his ex-wife, Tex Morrissey. Um, she was on the same bill with the Gum Sisters, and the youngest Gum Sister um, eventually became Judy Garland. Garland yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Tex Morrissey then was, was considered to play the Cowardly Lion mm-hmm. in the 1939 Judy Garland Wizard of Oz movie. Um, she obviously didn't get the part. Um, she did appear in a Bing Crosby movie as Hank the Mule in the in the in the late thirties, and then she played Hank the Mule. Uh, Vaudeville had died by that time, but she was like in nightclubs and um, state fairs and things like that up until her death in the in the early fifties. So nobody knew this in the, in Oz fandom, <laughs> and I just discovered this in the past few years. I talked to um, Fred and Texas' granddaughter um, a few months ago by phone, and she told me a whole lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about about their lives. Um, she only met her grandfather, Fred Woodward, uh, in the last couple months of his life. He had been dying. He was estranged from his daughter, her mm. mother, mm-hmm. but um, the mother took her daughter, this granddaughter, to uh, to visit him in, when he was dying. So she had met him mm. when he was in the early 50s, just before he died, wow. or late 60s, no, or 1960, just before he died. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, this is, I, I, obviously I'm really excited about all this stuff that doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's your next book, the Hank the Mule story. Yeah, Hank the Mule, great! I was like so excited to like, share this stuff. And when I proposed, made this proposal to the guys who were running the convention, they're like, Yawn. "Well, you give good presentations, so we'll let you do this." But really, Hank the Mule, we'll give you half an hour. Oh wow! <laughs> but I'm like, uh, I'm going to show them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like knock everybody out of the park, and I did because everyone is. Everyone afterward is like, "Oh my God, where did you?" find all this information because there's like you mm-hmm. know Judy Garland because um, um Fred Fred Wood when um when Hank the Newell was on the same bill with the Gum Sisters um mm-hmm. the daughter of Fred Woodward um who was with her mother, who was playing Hank the Mule, became mm-hmm. good friends with Judy Garland and they were friends for the rest of Judy's life. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Judy sent uh her name was Joy. Judy sent Joy uh a telegram when Liza was born. And, and so there's all these connections, all these odd connections that had kept going on and on <laughs> that no one knew about. So everyone, at least at the convention, was like, that was great. Where did you find this stuff? How do you know all this stuff? Uh, so whatever. So I was excited. So, and the guy, one of the guys who ran the convention was like, you know, when you first came to us with this, I was like, eh, okay, let him do it. But that was really, really good. <laughs> so, so, very good.
good. I'll have to go to one of these Oz conventions. I mean, that's what that's how ignorant I am. I still thought it was called WinkyCon. So, um, but it always seems to be an inconvenient place or an inconvenient time. So I've never been. I think I met you once, but I think it was like in San Diego Comic Con or something years ago or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that was a long time ago. But uh, yeah. Um, I was just a fan. I think I got something signed, and that was the end of that. So that was the extent of our conversation. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I meet a lot of people like that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have anything memorable about that. I know I met you at a convention. You probably don't remember me because I probably didn't make myself memorable. But anyway, um, uh, apart from the conventions, appearances, and everything like that, uh, is there any sort of uh, websites or how do people get in touch with you? Well, my my main website is www.age-of-bronze.com and uh, my if they want to email me my email is on my contact email is there at the bottom of the home page and uh, that's that's how to get in touch with me if you want all right very, uh, very good and any, any final thoughts uh no it's been great talking to you mark okay. um i was uh, uh, i wish I wish you know we should talk about Harvey Comics more uh, at some point. I guess because that because I, I still love Harvey Comics and that would be that'd be fun. I mean that's not about my career necessarily. Well, we could certainly do another show. I have no problem doing that. We don't have to do it today, but I mean it's like sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> another hour, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, we could set that up. I could do another show just totally about Harvey Comics. I mean that's the thing about this podcast. It's totally free form. Typically, yeah, I ask people about their careers and things because that's what people want to know about, and I do too. I, you know, it's like I didn't know all the things you did. I knew you from the Oz books and Casper. That was it. You know, so yeah. and then I research more and I go, oh, he does all this stuff about the Trojan uh, War and everything like that, and I was like, oh, okay, let's find that out about that, that too. Um, all right. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't have to set anything up, but I, 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 let me give you, there's a, I have a, I'll give you a standing offer okay. um, if you ever want to do a uh, podcast about Harvey Comics, I'll be happy to uh, be a person to participate. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Eric Shanow, for being my special guest. Episode number 50 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night. pills in the pink electric church the final flicker of your loot jewel
to 